0: Oscar Poker.
1: Just thing going on. I, I wake up at five in the morning, New York time, which is two in the morning Pacific. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I but I do. So I'm starting to come down. I'm trying to crash. Uh, <laughs> sorry.
0: It's okay. Uh oh.
1: Okay, I have to call you back. I'm about to do the podcast. I, I call you back in a while. Thanks. Okay. How you doing? <laughs> all right, I'm ready to talk.
0: Okay. Cool. Cool. be again. <laughs> <laughs> so you're having trouble with jet lag and all that? Is that what it is? Or? I don't know
1: what it is. I, you would think that I'm going. I would be more on California time or adjusting to New York time, which means that I would sleep later, you know, because of course I'm three hours earlier than you know Los Angeles. And for whatever dumb reason, I'm you know waking up really early, and it's just odd. But anyway, it's fine. Mm. Mm. You know, you have to get past the idea of I'm supposed to sleep at midnight or 1 a.m. and get up at 6 or 7. If I wake up, I wake up and, you know, know, even if it's the middle of the night, I'm used to it. It's
0: funny how sleep, you know, becomes more necessary but more but less, um, important as you get older, (laughs) you can just kind of like, whatever, you know, like I wake, sometimes wake up at four in the morning and I'm like, fuck it. I can't sleep anymore. I'm getting up and I'm working even though it's four in the morning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh,
1: so Phil wants to make this quick. So Phil, you uh want to do your, (laughs) your I I
2: should be okay. I mean, it's, it's just, I'm right in the middle of, you know, getting everything reported right now and yeah um, okay the
1: big thing i'm waiting for is the Mission impossible number so mm-hmm. that's not it yet you're, you're waiting for and you have no idea what it really will be don't you have any early well yeah i i
2: we have a rough estimate i mean it's going to be somewhere between 12 and 13 million um but yeah, you know, i did you guys get the email i sent about you know what we can focus yeah. on because i think it's it's probably good if we do that because otherwise we could you know go on forever mm-hmm. um, does, does what mean, for we can,
1: uh, can you just stop for a second what do you mean 12 or 13 12 or 13 million for for what regarding mission impossible uh
2: 425 locations
1: all, all imax so that's, that's very good you realize you're saying that it's only in 425 locations the mission impossible this weekend
2: yeah because they're only showing an imax it's no you know um
1: traditional screen for some reason i wasn't aware of that sorry okay oh
2: no yeah no worries yeah i mean that's that's their whole deal that's how they're getting kind of um you know a a jump on this rush of you know new movies that are coming out at the end of the year and it's it's paying off big time Yeah. so it's 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 a good move on paramount's part it's funny you
1: know i've never i can't trying to think of the last time that there was a big premiere as there is here in town uh on monday tomorrow night for Mission Impossible, uh, and it's already commercially open. That's uh, you know unusual, I think.
2: Yeah, I, that is odd. That has to be yeah
1: you know, a rare thing. Yeah. So, so um, Sasha, did you happen to go to see it in IMAX so you could see yeah. the the Batman prologue? Oh Had no, you- I
0: didn't. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, no, I forgot. I'm glad that it's making money though because I, I'm sort of rooting for Tom Cruise to have a you know have his career back. So.
1: I mean, he, he lost it in a way because of um, the last thing he did with Cameron Diaz. What, what's the last thing he did? I can't remember I now. No, he's
0: just sort of, you know, yeah. been kind of ostracized from society for his behavior. And, and I just, I'd love to see him get it back. Well, it's I funny don't... to
2: watch the, the buzz for this one because it's, I'm, I've been reading some of the tweets and some things people post on Facebook, and it's becoming, well, I don't want to go see a Tom Cruise movie, but I hear Mission Impossible is really good. That's, you know, like the most common, uh, common thing out there. Yeah.
0: So he's got something to overcome, which I guess is why he did the movie, you know, to kind of clean the slate and say, yeah, see, this is, remember why you guys liked me in the first place, but I don't have a problem with Tom Cruise. I never have, you know, I don't, so what he's into Scientology, big deal. You know, so what Christianity is more offensive to me than Scientology. Sorry, yeah. Christians. I'm going to get shit for that.
1: one. <laughs> oh. As equally uh, estranged from Christianity as I do from Scientology hmm. and from uh, you know the the as uh, Chris Hitchens, the late Chris Hitchens, said that the real axis of evil in this um, world is is um, Christianity, uh, Islamism, and Ju- Judaism.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm right there with you. I mean, I don't think it's any weirder the whole Xenu thing than it is a guy, you know, rising from the dead. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just as fantastic and and hard to believe. So, yeah. you have faith in one thing but you can't have faith in the other. The other is like too weird, but a guy rising from the dead isn't. Yeah so yeah. all right all right let's get off the subject of religion what else <laughs> let's talk about politics now <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's offend as many people as exactly. possible. exactly you're, you're a little weak by the way phil again am i um sure. you that? Me, uh, is that better yep a little bit yeah anyway uh so uh um is there anything uh i know that you wanted to get into the uh, box office thing or right let's Let's talk about um, the artist, uh, which uh, Sasha officially threw in the towel yesterday morning. And I uh, <laughs> wrote about that. And I said, well, <laughs> she's throwing in the towel. I guess it really is a, a fait accompli as far as winning the Best Picture Oscar. Mm. And, uh, and that uh, got some responses, at least on my end this morning. One guy saying, listen, uh, they're not understanding what's going to happen here. This is or they're not taking into account what's probably going to happen people out there are just not going to go for this movie in a commercial way the way some of the you know the Oscar watchers think it might and it's going to be a very underwhelming commercial response uh, except in select areas and so what do you think about that Sasha um,
0: I don't think it matters I really don't the thing that the artist has in its pocket is that it's only a fifteen million dollar movie and um, doesn't have to make a lot of money to be a success whereas yeah. a movie like Hugo or yeah, uh, Moneyball okay. or Dragon Tattoo or even the descendants, you know, you're you're talking about it has to make a lot more money just to yep. be impressive. The artist doesn't it has to do twenty, thirty, forty, fifty million and it's a hit, you know? Yeah. So it's all about perception. Weinstein's smart about that, he knows what he's doing. And uh there's this just this new trend of like people write on your message boards. Uh I think Gatos wrote about how people are sort of offended by big budgets now. They don't look yeah. at it as the movie. They look at how much did the movie cost, you know, versus what you get back. And with the artist, it costs hardly anything. It's all it's going on, totally on story and imagination. And that seems to be what the Oscar voters uh, reward lately. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time a big budget movie even won Best Picture? I can't even think of one.
1: So what do you think is going to happen, Phil, from that with that film um, box office-wise? And do you anticipate... Uh, uh, enthusiasm for it outside the uh, relatively small pockets in the big cities or people who can appreciate a tribute film to the glory of um, Hollywood yesterday and all that stuff. So,
2: You know, I mean, the, I'm going to blow some smoke up your ass here, guys, because you, you don't realize how important it is that you're coming out there now and saying that this is inevitable, that this is going to be a Best Picture winner, because there's a huge difference in the, the public perception of a movie when it goes from being something that might get nominated for best mm-hmm. picture and you know best actor and everything like that to the heir apparent, the thing that's gonna win, and you have to see this because it's gonna be the best picture of the year. If okay. that mindset trickles down to the masses, which it'll it'll start doing now, um, because of all the attention it's getting, not only from you guys but from the Golden Globes and you know everything like that and SAG, um, that's that's a valuable thing. That yeah. that's that makes all the difference in the world. And and it goes from me saying before that, you know, I think it would, I was insecure about it. I didn't know that it was going to do that well. And, uh, you know, I, I was throwing my hands in the air to saying, yeah, you have a hit on your hands now because it becomes, right. It, it just becomes something that people feel like they need to see regardless exactly. of uh-huh. yep. whether they, they're, they're interested in it or not. It becomes, that's the best picture winner. We need to go see it. Mm-hmm. Look what happened last year with King's speech. It blew up and that's a stuffy, you know, well, we won't get into King's Speech.
0: Yeah, let's not.
2: <laughs> the you know the leader the, of the pack. Mm-hmm. It blew up at the box office. It just went crazy, and that that's mm-hmm. what can happen here. It's, it'll be in, in a lesser extent, to a lesser extent, um, because this still isn't as commercial as King's Speech. But yeah. you know, it's gonna it's gonna do well now because of this mentality being, you know, oh yeah, uh, put on the public.
0: I think it was going to so, do well anyway because of the word of mouth I was hearing out there among people that don't know anything about the race. Everybody said, everybody, you know what you got to see? Either they said you have to see the artist or they said I want to see the artist. So the, It's the only movie I hear. But even my weird brother-in-law who doesn't like any kind of Oscar movie is like, do you happen to have the artist screener? <laughs> so it's like everybody's <laughs> curious about it because they're hearing silent film, black and white. So they're curious. And that was going to get them to see it. However, I will say one thing about the Oscar race. When you first started telling me that, Phil, I thought what you were going to say was it flips perception because people's expectations rise too high and it can't live up to that. And I think that one thing I've learned about covering the Oscar race is that, yeah, that's totally true. And if you, if you you um, if you start saying a movie is going to win Best Picture, it becomes the front runner and it suddenly becomes a movie that everybody wants to hate. And the thing is, is that... I don't mean everybody. I mean people who cover the race and and people who are involved at all in the Oscar race, even Oscar voters. And if you can flip the race somehow, if you can flip perceptions and make people think that instead of thinking it's the underdog, that works against it for the final win. So that's one thing I forgot last year was that the way to have played last year wasn't to say the social network should win, but King's Speech and kink speech can't win it's not strong enough to win it can't win that always keeps it as the underdog once it becomes the front runner like if Jeff and I had been saying all along that that was going to win and no way could social network win social network might have won just because of the weird way people are about perception they don't like to be a foregone conclusion you never ever want to be the front runner you especially don't want to be the front runner right now
2: that's yeah. interesting. I think that makes a lot of sense.
0: So, yeah, yeah we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm curious to see how it... Because I, I can't imagine or see any other movie winning right now than The Artist. Well, I just don't... I don't see any other... I think that um, love is divided between Moneyball and um, The Descendants and Hugo. It's all divided up, but you have your unifying force behind one movie, and that's The Artist, so...
2: Well, I think the interesting thing here, too, is that, you know, The Artist is... It's gonna be hard for that not to be seen as an underdog, even if it's the front runner. To me it can be the front runner and the underdog at, at the same, the same time, time, which is a yeah. really weird thing, but it makes sense, you know. So yeah,
0: it does because it has it has people saying the more you say it can't win because it's a little movie, or it can't win because it's a French movie, or it can't win because it's silent and black and white, the more the better chance it has. Uh-huh. every time you say that it has a chance i mean he's got everything that an oscar he knows harvey weinstein knew right away what he had because it, it's like the slum it's like slumdog millionaire's story was it's going to go straight to video you know and those low expectations it barreled all the way through the oscar race with no problem it was seen as the underdog up until it won its final award and it won everything uh-huh. so people want to reward a little movie like that that is good and, and i think phil's right it the only way you can derail the artist is if people start to see it as a Harvey Weinstein um, manipulation, and that's the only tiny way you you have a chance. <laughs> Everything uh-huh. it has, and he's smart about it because he he does exactly the opposite of what Oscar campaigners do. He he stays quiet and in the background. He he appeals to the voters themselves. He holds parties. He talks. He spreads he spreads messages through media, um, targeted media outlets, and you can totally see it working from behind the scenes. It's just that. He's just really good at it. He's not out there. He's not obvious. But, he, you know, he's good. So,
1: so what happened with uh, Carnage this weekend? Phil?
2: Yeah, I expected a bit more from that. Uh, it, it did around 86,000 from uh, five locations, which works out to an average of about 17,000. And for a movie with that kind of star power... It's. I think it's just going to be one of the casualties of a, a crowded market at this point. That's that's the vibe I'm getting from it because something like that with Jodie Foster, Kay Winslet, Christoph Waltz, and you know John C. Riley, um, that should be doing you know thirty thousand a location or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so it's a weak start. And I mean, w- what do you guys think? Is this dead in terms of you know any acting nominations? Do you think it still has it's a shot? Not happen.
0: No.
1: Not gonna happen. Yeah. I don't well, see then. it
0: happening for two reasons. One, the main reason is that that the the, the the performances just aren't that compelling, and there's no kind of there there. There's no arc. The other reason is, of course, Polanski is now persona non grata, and, the, <laughs> 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 and that's going to also work against him. You know, the public outcry, and you know, can you imagine how people are? They're so Polanski hysterical.
1: is persona non grata.
0: I think so. After what
1: wh- realm is that? I mean. In the in the fundamentalist wacko world you're talking about, or you're yeah, about in the
0: people- Oscar I- Oscar voters like to shy away from controversy. Part of it, it's not that it's not that uh, they didn't give him Best Director. They did, but back then people weren't as weird as they are now. I don't know. There's like Puritanism spreading through. I'm not. I don't want to get into the Polanski thing, by the way. I'm just saying that you know it's different now. The way that people look at Polanski than than how they did when The Pianist was up, for instance. Everybody was rooting for that movie. You know. This isn't, the holo- this isn't a Holocaust movie, you though. You're saying
1: that if he, the people are more uh, um, uh, virulent or more uh, embedded in, in, in seeing uh, him as a negative figure mm-hmm. than they did at the time of the pianist because oh, he sure. was arrested by the Swiss authorities? Is that what you mean?
0: Well, it's a combination of factors, but one is that. The other is that there's just a lot more loud chatter because of um, the people sort of being given a voice online, and so there's a lot more activism S- and... I mean, you hear a lot more back from people than maybe they felt that way back then, but nobody said anything. But there's been this long, ongoing, online, heated debate about him, not just on our message boards, but everywhere, the New- up to the New York Times even, you know. And so I think, like, with Shame having an NC-17 and with Polanski, I think that that's just enough for them to just, uh, 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 you know, they're, like, shy away. So, but at any rate, it would... It would be able to overcome that if it was maybe a Holocaust movie about a guy like, Adrian Brody starving to death, you know, in Poland. It's it's not that. It's just a bunch of entitled, annoying, rich people arguing about their kids. I mean, well, who cares about that? Nobody, you know.
1: Now, what I'm not understanding is, um, first of all, I, I really something in me just it's like chalk on the blackboard to hear these simplistic, underthought, primitive. Conservative reactions to, you know, like Roman Polanski. You know, it's it's so it's so deflating to, th- to think that people just don't uh, look at anything beyond this the headline uh, element. You know, they never think about. it, they never think through it? They never consider the nature of what uh, most people in a creative vein, they tend to have some kind of obsessive aspect of their personality. It's not like he murdered anybody. It was, it's just, it's so deflating to hear this. I, I, don't, know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I've I lost.
0: You know. Well, it's, it's not but, that. I don't think that once you start getting into the discussion, you have to start minimizing the crime and that's where people start to get angry. You know. Uh, um, but the thing is, is that I think people just draw a hard moral line, and they don't want to come back from that. But but what what gets is weird to me is when that then translates to he's not a good filmmaker because, or he should be ignored because, or shunned because. This happened back in the '70s, you know. I mean, with Polanski, I think there are mitigating circumstances. I think if you know if you've had your um, pregnant beautiful wife stabbed in the stomach by the fucking manson family and then been accused of it if your parents died in the holocaust i think you know you're allowed a little leniency to make huge mistakes like he did and and i think that he's more than there's
1: also a little tiny weeny little moralistic element in the age of consent in europe being commonly uh in the vicinity of 14 15 years old even 13 believe it or not in right. spain it does have an effect on the way people you know tend yeah. to look at things over there as opposed to here i think it's criminal that there would be an age of consent below the age of 18 or 19 you know it should be at least 18 but
0: well i don't think it's that's, the age.
1: that's the way it is in europe so i
0: don't think it's the age thing so much as you know something did happen post pianist which was that the. Um, It came out in public what he did, that he had drugged her and basically raped her, anally raped her. You know, I mean, that's really what people are... I think she could have been 16, 17, 18. If he had still done that, they'd still feel the same way. But, yeah, it's an added fact that she was underage. But um, I think it's the other part of it that people find so unforgivable. uh Myself. I think if he had just slept with an underage girl, that would be one thing. But I think people feel like he deliberate. For me, for my I don't think you can excuse what he did. I think you can forgive what he did because it was so long ago and because he's so sorry for it. And, you know, he's he's lived his life in a better way since. And he's reformed. And they were going to screw him in the court. So I don't think that doing his time would have taken away the act, either. I think he's had to do his time in his own way. People will fight with you no matter what you say. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he's done his time living in France. And, you know... (laughs) What are you going to do? So anyway, um, I don't know. Phil, what did you think? Did you see the movie? No, that's one of the
2: major things I haven't seen yet. So I am I need to catch up. Can I, somebody uh,
1: explain to me, how does this uh, very same property uh, become a hits play in Manhattan and go for months and months and months? Obviously, because of good word of mouth, people say, oh, you got to see it. You got to see it. It becomes a film that is more, you know, obviously within the you know, allowing many people who couldn't afford um, going to a play, mm-hmm. you know. And it just sits there, you know, it doesn't really take off, and yet, it's so it wasn't a big,
0: very good, that's why, and the actors weren't as good. God, the, the stage actors, you know they, they knew they understood the material. these actors were not given enough time, and they did not understand the material, and they were overwhelmed, I thought, by the subject matter, so much so that you lose the whole point of the story. The whole point That's of the, the play, the play is beautifully, elegantly executed so that you I, know exactly what they're talking about and what they mean and why they're staying together in this apartment and why she's throwing up and why they're fighting. And every little nuance of their characters, every arc was played out on stage. On, on film, it was just smeared all over the place. you know. And Jet,
1: Jet was explaining something to me. I took Jet to see uh, the play with me when, when James Gandolfini was in it. And uh, one, he said he felt that um, the confinement... Uh, on this, on in that one set was uh, not something that you question because you're sitting in a theater. Right. and They have that one set. Were they going to do chain sets? Were they going to have them go out in the hallway? It does, you know, it seemed pointless. So you don't have a problem with it. But it seems curious that they uh, mm-hmm. don't leave, given the acrimonious vibes. But they stay anyway,
0: right?
1: And that's like an element in the movie, but it doesn't seem like that uh, in the in the play. Secondly, he said. That uh, it was better as a play, and Gandolfini would made it really um, oh. uh, was much better than John C. Riley. He felt so.
0: the only way they could have rescued it is if they had cast those four actors from the stage play onto the because Polanski yeah. and them they just didn't have enough time. They needed yeah. those performers on stage had been doing it for months and months and months, and they right. knew every tiny little beat, and that was something special to see. Really, the play I re- highly recommend the film. Yeah. Nah, don't, couldn't recommend it at all. Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, Phil, you mentioned less than enthusiastic reviews for War Horse. So far, it's about, uh, well, I don't know what the reviews are going to be like. I would think that there would be, uh, at, the, at, at the very least, a mixed response. But right now, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's like 73%. It's, you know, it's not damning. It's, you know, just, it's not ecstatic. So what do you mean less than? So you, you sense it's going to be more negative as more people come out? I think so.
2: I mean, because you look at it and there's, yeah, you know, I think right now it's, what, eight positive to three negative. So, yeah. I mean, if you just take that ratio and, and multiply it, I mean, that's, there's going to be enough detractors,
1: you know. But that, how many people care about reviews when something is primal and is engaging as a, a poor, sad animal uh, with nobility and expressive eyes and all that stuff uh, going through all this horror? People always respond to this stuff. It can't, can't miss, can it?
2: Well, you have to look at this, that they're selling it as a a Steven Spielberg prestige movie. Mm -hmm. That's what it's being pushed as. So if people get wind of the fact that this isn't one of his best movies, it's not all it's cut out to be. Uh, You also have to look at it. I, I think it's tricky here also in terms of, you know, will families take young kids to see this? Um, I still think that's kind of up in the air because you also have plenty of other things that seem like...
1: There we you know, go with the conservative safe, stuff again. ...safe.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you just, I, I'm not agreeing with it. I mean, I, I think you can take kids to, you know, pretty young children to something that's challenging and, and they'll grow because of it. And I know, I'm, I'm sure Sasha agrees with that, but, mm. um, you know, it's, it's the mentality. And, and they'd rather take their kids to see something like We Bought a Zoo or, or Alvin and the Chipmunks than go to see something that's going to challenge them or, or unsettle them a little bit. Um, it's just a reality that you have to deal with and I think that could set in here because A, it, you know, and it, it's obviously not the huge Oscar contender that it once was. I mean, it seems like it's, you know, losing steam in a, in a big what way. What do
1: you feel, Sasha? you think it's losing, it's gonna uh, you know, not maybe not have the impact that everybody thought it would? Um,
0: it- I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, everybody that I know is worried about the pain that the horse is going to endure. Like somebody asked me on Twitter, I don't want to go see this movie on Christmas. If something bad happens to the horse. And I said, are you kidding me? Think Lassie. Nothing happens to the horse. Nothing. He gets tangled up in barbed wire. He's barely injured. (laughs) I try to tell people about that, but there's no denying that there is, um, there is uh, fear that... I mean, for me, when I first saw the trailer, my my heart leapt because I thought, oh, God. And, and when I was watching the movie, I was crying in anticipation of thinking of this horse that couldn't stand loud noises going into war. Of course, that never pays off. But um, but it, it it turns out to be a very emotionally soothing film. There's nothing hard about it. There's nothing challenging about it. There is no... Way anybody's going to feel bad coming out of that movie? They're just going to sob and they're going to love the horse, and that's that, you know. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, they're having a hard time convincing people. It seems like to me, through the people I've talked to, that it's not about a horse getting hurt. I think people think it is, so they don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see a pretty little sweet horse get hurt on Christmas. Yeah, I mean,
2: it's that's that's the reality of the situation, I think, and
0: yeah, yeah. I know So we'll see I don't know It's still a Spielberg movie I liked the new posters That I saw Without the boy in them Just the horse running I think that sells it A little bit better than I mean Victoria The initial
1: um, uh, One sheet Was kind of uh, Everybody was said initially That it looked like A harlequin romance
0: Which is what it is I mean it's, yeah. it's, it's it's appropriate To what that movie is But I don't think It necessarily will sell The movie The, um, the new poster With the horse Just running With the flag on his mane Is much better Uh huh yeah. Uh, I thought, so. Yeah. yeah. Well. <laughs> but as far as Oscar goes, I think uh, Steven Spielberg is still a force to be reckoned with. I saw um, I saw the warhorse at the DGA, and I know that a lot of people were... Um, it's just a matter of if they're going to go for the schmaltz or not. My friend Craig had no problem with the schmaltz, and a lot of the fanboys that I talk to on Twitter have no problem with it at all, which stuns me. But... Um, they don't. They don't seem to be looking at it with a critical eye, and they're just won over by the sentiment. So I can see a lot of the DGA voters. I mean, who are these people? <laughs> um, the 9,000 of them, going nominating Spielberg, you know, for best oh. director. So I do think it'll be best picture, best director. You know, score. It's not going to get like acting, screenplay, probably. Maybe not screenplay. Maybe. Uh, it'll get a lot of tech nominations and it'll do very well in the Oscar race. It just, I don't think it's going to win much, not going to win best picture. Well, cut to, and the Oscar goes to war horse. (laughs) 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 Uh, So what was the last thing we had to talk about here?
2: I think those, those were it. I mean, unless you guys, I, that pretty much covers it.
0: So, is there any any Oscar movement with uh, the Descendants, or how's the Descendants doing?
2: The Descendants is just eking it out. I mean, it's it's hanging in there, and it's you know, right now it's up to um, twenty eight million, and it still hasn't hit a thousand locations. So, it's you know, it's just hanging on, and it'll get. It's just gonna. It's just gonna be a steady earner. It's not. It's not the kind of movie that hits number one and does twenty million. That just doesn't happen for something like that it's going to consistently do you know like four or five million dollars a weekend mm-hmm. until you know the oscar nominations come out and then it'll get a nice big bump from that and then it'll hold it around it'll hold steady and and that's it you know which yeah. is refreshing to see something like that, that i, I honestly just exist based on word of mouth you know
0: oh yeah that's great i honestly think that's the only movie that can really take on the artist it's the only one i mean i think you have to choose between moneyball and descendants but Descendants has Alexander Payne, who's never won before. And it's such an American movie. It's an American story. It could go head-to-head with the artist. That's sort of how I'm seeing it. But we'll see how that plays out. Um, how about Dragon Tattoo? Does it have any... Uh, what's the buzz on that? It's got to be... Yeah, like, I
2: mean, you have to... Th- I think it's going to
1: um, benefit from the fact
2: that Sherlock Holmes kind of bombed this weekend.
0: Oh, did um, it? Oh, yeah.
1: So, oh no. Th- what it did Phil, it didn't do too badly, but it Underperformed compared to the first one, isn't that what you mean? Really?
2: No, I mean I. I think it's a just a full-on disappointment. Oh, I, mean, okay. I don't okay. say that very much, but for you know, a, the original one to do sixty something million yeah. its opening weekend, and for this to do forty,
1: that. that oh. but, but wait a minute! Does, isn't it still more or less a rule that a sequel will? is presumed by most people to probably not be as good as the original because it's a sequel, because it's being made so they can make more money. And, you know, this was not, it was not a wonderful film, the first one. Now, if you listen to some reviews, the second Sherlock Holmes has some uh, aspects that are actually half enjoyable and and it's a little bit uh, more engaging than the first one. Um, So, um, it, 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 it just seems to me like it's going, like it's not that shocking that it would make less, Money, but no, you think because less is
2: fine, but not that much. I mean, that's the twenty million dollar difference. That's huge, you know. Right, and that huge. you have to multiply that over the the course of its theatrical run, and yeah. it's going to be okay. You know, they're, they're, it'll still. It'll still probably eke out enough to justify doing a third.
1: Well, here's probably. my suspicion. I think that people read that piece that in which I talked about Robert Downey being a Republican, and the word got out, and so people like, you don't want to go to this. <laughs> he's
0: not it. a Republican, is he? Yes, Jeff. You cost him $20 million this
1: weekend.
0: <laughs> you're, you're not getting invited to any more. <laughs> but he's not a Republican. He is
1: a uh, actual card-carrying, bona fide, Mel Gibson-supporting Republican. That's
0: horrifying news. Well, That's horrifying <laughs> I mean, it's just so disappointing. How can you be a Republican in this day and age? I don't understand. Sorry, Republican. I don't know that he's a Tea Party (laughs) guy,
1: but but he does. um, He explained it to David Carr rather uh, succinctly in a New York Times piece. I think it was last summer. What was the last film before this one? He said, basically, you can't go uh, have the kind of life that I had and then suddenly go into prison for a few months and come out and still be a a liberal Democrat.
0: Why? Why? Well, he
1: became a Republican in the way that some people became Republicans after 9-11. They were shocked. You know, a 9-11 Republican is a term. They felt that they had to be more militant as far as the enemies of this country. And that kind of led led to their uh, feeling um, in alignment with George Bush and Dick Cheney and those guys.
0: Is that what Robert Downey Jr. thinks? It's all about, like, um, international safety and stuff? It's not about money, is it? I mean, it's not about him being a rich guy. And not wanting well, to pay taxes.
1: He didn't explain it in, in, in micro detail, but he did explain to David Carr that his, the turning point in his philosophical orientation was going to prison.
0: Right, but I know a lot of people went to prison. Usually they come out a little more compassionate. than. Okay,
1: that. well, that's good for them. Well,
0: <laughs> well anyway, I don't think that's, out that's out the time reason. Time. But <laughs> Phil, do you think it could be like the Twitter effect and the bad buzz early on or what?
1: Um, I don't
2: know. It's a mix of things. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I think we, we noticed in the... Leading up to it, there was a general lack of enthusiasm, and I don't think we we should have attached more weight to that. Um, it just wasn't because there's been kind of a, a surge in Twitter activity recently, where you can, you can look at the old numbers for Sherlock, the first one, and if if the new movie doesn't blow that away, you have to be worried about it because people are just more active on Twitter, and we weren't seeing that. Um, so yeah, I th- I think that was a big part of it, and part of it too is. You know, I think the Mission Impossible thing really hurt it um, because there's a huge overlap in in the audiences right. for for that. The, that theory makes sense.
1: What you just said, that, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah,
2: okay. Yeah, you know, that that definitely took a. You're, I think that could have. That's the difference between like 40 million and possibly 50 million. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you also have to think that Mission Impossible has the benefit of the Dark Knight thing. Which, how many people bought tickets just to see the Dark Knight trailer or the Dark Knight prologue? Right. Um, that would be. I'd love to get my hands on that statistic yeah Um, yeah it was just a combination of things that just hit it and then you know that's that's the difference you know
0: isn't it couldn't it also be that that when they all turned out for the first one they thought it was going to be good and that they thought and then once they went in they were like you know what this is a terrible movie i don't even want to see the second one and no it's
2: the first one helped up really well so i think people genuinely like the first one so i don't know that that really works as an explanation um
0: because I think with Mission Impossible, you know, basically know what you're getting. I mean, you know what kind of ride you're going to go on, you know. Um, yeah, and that's... Sherlock Holmes is a little more unpredictable that way. Plus, there's all that weird gay stuff. <laughs> <And> people, are, <laughs> people are probably, you know, the kind of audience, the target audience, that likes that. I mean, you know, they're they it's would funny. be, you know, they're not into that probably. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I you maybe. know, th-
2: I have a theory about that that most people don't even pick up on it. I I think if you uh, you know went up to your average, you know, person who went to see Sherlock Holmes and said, there's a there's a massive, you know, gay subtext to this. They'd be like, no, no, they're, they're just friends. They're, they're just really yeah, close yeah,
0: friends. Yeah. Would... <laughs> Probably. You know, that's
1: how they react to it. It's pretty <laughs> it's
0: strong pretty in this one, though. Um, huh. Did you see it, Sasha? I saw it.
1: Oh, I haven't even seen it, so
0: Yeah, I,
2: I haven't.
1: Oh.
0: oh, you guys haven't seen it? Oh, I did not think it was that bad. I didn't have any idea what the hell was going on. The plot was okay. completely lost on me, but... There are some scenes that I, I laughed harder at this one scene that I've laughed at any movie, in my whole in the whole year. And it's mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. on a, <laughs> on a tiny little pony. It's like the funniest sight gag I've ever seen, and he's running on this little pony, which he then proceeds to call <laughs> a demonic pony. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so,
0: so I couldn't stop laughing in the screening I didn't think it was bad You know, the the, the new Numi pace is wasted pretty much Like, she, what's she doing there? I mean, she has nothing to do but um, <laughs> Except just stand there and look pretty But, you know, uh, I didn't mind it You know what I mean? I don't have that high of standards for those kind of movies So it's like, it's kind of nice to sit back and watch a big budget Hollywood movie You know, after mm-hmm. seeing all these little indies Because the money's on the screen, you know and I kind of missed that from being a kid when the blockbusters sort of came, came up. Um, you know, you, you you'd go in, and I remember Moonraker or whatever. You know, you watch these big Hollywood movies, and it was such an escape into that world. Well, as budgets have gotten smaller, and movies have gotten smaller, you lose a lot of that. But Sherlock Holmes, boy, it's on there. It's the sets and the costumes and the you know, it's just. I I hope that there's always going to be a place for those kind of movies.
2: That's exactly what I felt with. Um watching mission impossible Four that turned me into a kid again i had such yeah. a good time with that movie especially the it, dubai then. stuff the dubai stuff is amazing
0: yeah.
2: um i mean i highly recommend that if you haven't seen that yet sasha
0: i haven't i really want to now that you said that it is
2: it, it's it's a lot of fun and to see it in imax if you can you'll be peeled to the back of your chair oh i, I know will. it sounds like a cliche but it's it's really fun no
1: i'm gonna um, go it's, it's I'm significantly gonna go. exciting i mean i was really taken by the uh by the big boxy IMAX uh, uh, images when I saw it. And um, I thought also that even though they go out of their way to disinvest you in the in your belief in what's happening as Tom Cruise ascends on the glass, um, glass surface of this huge skyscraper in Dubai, uh, you know, they have him uh, with these gloves that, that are supposed to stick to the uh, glass. And a really good bit where one of the gloves stops stops working. Remember that?
2: Yeah, that's killer. I, you, the whole audience was with it with that. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're gasping and, you know, yeah. and I loved it. Yeah. Mm.
1: But I just wish they would try, and um, I really do want to believe in these things. I want I really want to be taken away by it. I love being in the midst of scary things. And it really was scary enough, but they they, they throw stuff at you because they want to be exceptional in terms of doing things you haven't seen before, so they throw this stuff at you. That you're, uh, you know, supposed to be kind of jolted by and excited by, but what I wind up doing is not believing it as much, and it takes away from the, from the escape element, which I love if it's done well, and I, I just re- kind of resent that. Like that's idiotic thing that I wrote about, with a guy, the uh, he's a Mission Impossible guy, and he's like having a shootout in, is it Bucharest or Bulgaria or somewhere in the beginning, and he and he jumps off a, a rooftop backwards mm. while blasting away. Phil mm-hmm. Yeah, I was worried about that.
2: You know, that for in terms of a first scene that wasn't very good.
1: I Why do they do stuff like that? That's ridiculous. Yeah. So all they have to do is just set it up so somehow he doesn't become, you know, maimed or killed by falling off a building. But they, they everybody's in this thing where gravity doesn't matter in in, in um, thrillers, you know, and, and, and adventure stuff. You know, you can just jump off backwards and you'll be okay. You'll hit an, a, an awning on the way down. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's all it's all nihilistic, and uh you know, I really believe and love being taken away by ex- escapism, and mm-hmm. I get very upset when they just flaunt the unbelievability of things and just saying,, um, you know, they don't care, you know, I mean, they figure, oh, you guys will go with this, well, yeah, sure you can, yeah know, that's not a problem, and
2: well, and there's also the idea that they feel like they can get. Away with more as the movie progresses. Have you guys ever heard that theory? You know, the, the deeper you get into a movie, the more you can get. Away no, it's with not. This. I
1: don't agree with that at all. I mean, you know, yeah. um, I don't know what they're talking about. So I don't
2: agree with it either. I don't. I mean, I think I'm alert and you know analytical when I'm watching a movie, and it doesn't matter if it's an hour in or ten minutes, and if something doesn't seem right, then
1: you know, there's a lot out there. If you've ever been in any kind of pre- precarious situation, Sasha or Phil, you've been in. A situation in which you almost got hit by a car, or you know you're worried about being uh, followed by a cop. And maybe they're going to pull you over. There's all kinds of things that can make you unsettled. And there seems to be this this pernicious uh, belief amongst filmmakers that, that that stuff that really happens or can happen and does happen and re- really unnerves us. You know, like being in the in the presence of real violence. Have you ever been actually been near a beating and see somebody really get hit uh, in a real way? I mean, as opposed to a fake uh, uh ballet like uh, uh, way in a in a movie which you don't really believe it's pretty horrifying and it those feelings you are do not leave you no. movies have no interest in trying to recreate that they're in their own belief system their own realms you know well it's so- the
0: same way they do sex sex you know nothing is ever as real as it is in real life i mean that's why that's why there are movies, right? I mean- but
1: uh, uh, that's, that's not true. T- you know, I felt that the sex scenes, there are two of them in Girl and the Dragon Tattoo, was some of the hottest sex scenes I can remember in a long time. And it seemed like it was real to me. It didn't seem like they were faking it, that they were creating some sort of hyper-reality. It really got to me. I thought, wow, this is this is hot stuff. Remember?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hard to forget.
1: Strike you as being hyper and just movie reality and not real. Say, uh,
0: yeah. no. But I think that, that there's a lot left out. Um, it, versus real life. I mean, if you want to talk about that, I mean, I think I'm, t- I'm talking about like the rawness of somebody punching somebody in the jaw in real life. What that feels like to both witness it. You yeah. know, I mean, first of all, you don't hear the sound effects, and yeah. it's not. And I think with sex, it's it can be sometimes awkward, sometimes weird. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it's clumsy. Sometimes it's that's fucking right. great. That's but, right. you know, in a movie, the sex is always going to be fucking great, right? It's always the best sex scene. <laughs> so they pick and choose, right, what what to show. And uh, that's all I mean is that it's the same with violence. I think the violence is, does sort of a lot of the services is a lot of the same functions as sex in movies is that it's not... It's one step removed from the rawness of of reality, the unbearable rawness of reality. Well, that shut everybody up. (laughs) I just don't know why you
1: think that's cool to to just create a whole other belief system, this whole way of presenting life as it is actually lived and experienced out there, which is you know, full of terror and full of trepidation. And you think that that's not good enough and it's better to create these fake alter reality versions of things. And that's what people want and respond to and why they pay their... Well,
0: I don't know about better, but more palatable, more profitable, certainly. Right.
1: You're talking about a generation that perceives life more in terms of online activity and video games and doesn't Mm -hmm. have a lot of real-life experience. Right. Uh, You know, if you were to show a movie about war to a bunch of guys who had been, you know, in Iraq in the midst of firefights, let's say, and it was full of the hyper-reality that you see in, in the Mission Impossible film, they'd all say, well, this is a lot of fun and everything, but it's not the way it is, and, you know, I don't really respect it as a recreation of war as I know it, you know. Uh, it's the same thing with any aspect of, of real life, and I just don't. Uh, I think that really you're, you're talking about a generational thing. The ones, that the gamers, and particularly the generation uh, uh, digital. Uh, my, my kids, you know, guys born in the early '90s and born in the mid '80s. I just don't. I think there's less of a of a of an of an interest in having some uh, reflection of. Actual life on screen. I think it's kind of a everything's become kind of jacked up in a digitized, harp, uh, hyper way that 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 uh, people don't talk the way I'm talking right now. Most people don't care. Maybe most people say, "Oh, it's fun. I loved it. You know, I, it was a good ride." You know, and and there's no interest in it. And what gets me is when it really is. I mean, I completely subscribe to the to the violence in the in the Soderbergh film, and 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 a lot of the geeks and a lot of the Alex Billington. Of the world, they all said, "Ah, that's not any good." You know, it's not hyper enough. It's not video gaming enough. It's not, um, you know, extreme enough.
0: <laughs> Poor Alex, oh
1: Well, that's what he did say online.
0: Oh well, I mean, you know, he's young, dude. He's so young. I mean, the that's thing the is, point, is, that a lot who of are these
1: young have that way of perceiving films. That, that no,
0: I understand different. that, and I, I, I. What's one of my biggest problems with the way films are written about now is that they're written about. No offense, Phil. I don't mean to offend, and I'm not including you in this. I'm just saying that. Um, a lot of people are, what, 22, 23. They've just gone from parents' house to college and they're writing about movies. Well, what reality do they really have other than the context that movies have given them? Have they suffered? Have they lived? Have they gone to different countries? Have they had their heart broken a million times? Have they ever been beaten up? Have they, you know, beaten anybody up? I mean, there's, there's so much to life, Jeff, that informs you as a man, you know, all these decades of life. And you're using that, to look at the context of, 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 you know, of violence in movies and sex in movies. And a lot of people that write about movies, a lot of very big mouthpieces don't have that experience. And so they're only going by, what does this make me feel? You know, did I buy it? Did I, did I not buy it? Well, if their frame of reality is only other movies, how are they ever going to break out of that? They never will, unless they go out and live their lives, get offline and go live, you know? What about your response to this film?
2: Well, I'd make the argument that a lot of the people writing about film now in their 30s and 40s haven't really lived life either. So I don't think it's, yeah, you know, it's true. an age thing. I mean, and, you know, I'm not going to name names or anything, but...
0: Good point, dude.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, it's I think it's just the nature of the beast that anybody who's that obsessed with movies... Right. Um, ...and is, you know, that gung-ho about it, a lot of them just, you know, that's all they, that's all their life has been. They their, their entire life experiences are through cinema. They haven't, right. you know...
1: Find out, Um, you yeah. so
0: <laughs> know, that's th- it. That makes it's them- the same
1: thing when you see. um... um uh, I, it's not just about violence or, or traumatic events. It's the way movies routinely have no interest in in giving us uh, parents uh, of, of children in movies looking like their children. Not hardly ever. There's never any. Whereas if you see. Um, a person who is a father or a mother of a, of a son or a daughter and you're, you're talking to them and you know that they're related by that in that way, you'll spot it immediately. You always do. Uh, It's very rare when you don't see any, you know, of the genetic, uh, you know, uh, inheritance, Uh, but it's routine. It's utterly routine for there to be next to no uh, resemblance at all. And this is just the norm, normal thing. And people have been, Sort of numbed by this, amongst many other distortions that movies are, they have no interest in really, you know. That's why when you see a, a, a someone who actually does resemble uh, their mother or father in a film, it's it's almost a, it's almost startling. Hey, wow, look at that! They actually look like they might be their daughter. You
3: hmm. know, hmm.
1: you guys couldn't be more bored by that. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: could sleep with it. I'm sorry, my my <laughs> mind was on the bumper music. I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I I, I I think think that that, that, just the overreaching point here for me is that we're talking about two things. We're talking about the language of film, which is changing, and we're talking about not buying it because I think you've lived a life that's reflective, you know, and and it gives you experiences that make you think, you know what? I can't deal with this fake violence shit. I want to see some... I want to see it be more real. And my, my main, I mean, I'm just want to turn this into like a let's beat up on, on, you know, all the people that pay money to see movies. But it's just that, you know, uh, I think that just in general, we've been, you know, corporations and advertising has gotten so good at, at rearing consumers that children are branded from a very early age. And, and that branding continues on through the movies. So there's the Mission Impossible branded audience. There's the Sherlock Holmes branded audience. And there's the, you know, and it's like McDonald's and Starbucks and everything else in America. It's cookie cutter, branding, you know, herding of mind. You don't see the same thing in Europe. You really don't. You don't see that. You have much more independent thinkers there, And, um, I mean, that's a horrible generalization. I know your audience is going to have a fit if they hear that, but I'm just saying that, you know, in general, younger people I find are sort of trained to identify with a brand and that's sort of disappointing in a way because for them, the only criticism they can give is does the film live up to the brand, to the promise, or does it not? But it never the discussion never really goes beyond that. And if you look at the top ten films of the year, they're all pretty much branded movies, with a few exceptions, you know. So that's just the way it is, and it's very sad to see that that's is how it's all becoming. But and I hope that people try to fight that and they try to think more independently. I don't know. What do I know? You know I, I think that,
2: that is some problem, Sasha. I mean, I don't, I don't like that my generation thinks that way. I mean, it's mm. we're a generation that's obsessed with. Um, you know anything that's related to the what we grew up with and what we grew up with that were you know Nintendo games and mm. you know Super Mario Brothers and and all this junk culture. Right. So whenever we see something that resembles this junk culture that we remember from when we were kids, we respond to it. Um, I'm guilty of it in some instances, but yeah. I'm you know it doesn't mean I'm going to go see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three, you know, or whatever. Right. It's yeah, it's there's too much of a a need for nostalgia. I think my generation's a bunch of, you know, children really. I mean, we're not, we, you know, it's, yeah. it's sad really. Um,
0: <laughs> it, it's true I, though, that, that, that yeah. it's, there is a, there is a, a profit motive to keeping the target demographic as young as possible for as long as possible, because yeah. if they can keep thinking they're little boys, Judd Epito <laughs> mm-hmm. they're always going to keep buying shit. Mm-hmm. To make them happy, you know. Uh, to yeah, make absolutely. Them and then fulfilled. that's
2: why we get movies like The Sitter. You know, it's oh, like no. that generation of filmmakers now—they just churn out that crap. You know, it's it's. What disgusting.
1: did you have? What did you think of The Sitter yourself? What was your?
2: I don't even. I'm not even. I mean, I shouldn't bash it without seeing it. But I, I read all the reviews about it, and I, I know I'm going to hate it without even watching it. I walked out of Your Highness. I'm not going to go watch The Sitter. <laughs> you know it's like i'm not even gonna waste my time with it i'm gonna <laughs> go out and have some drinks with friends and you know live my life i'm not gonna watch that shit that's
0: you good know,
1: it's so a- but it's david go- david gordon green though
2: get past it man because his look at his last three movies that's all i'll say i mean or well, didn't he you know you heard really about example
1: it's wasn't that him
2: yeah yeah I, I mean that was fun but you could kind of see the beginning of where he's going now, which is disturbing. I mean, Ebert summed it up best in his review of The Sitter. He said, David Gordon Green, you know, he said something along the lines of, you know, he used to be a great filmmaker and I have no idea why he's doing this right now. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people are saying that. Mm. Um, so just because he, you know, did some movies, some great movies back in the day, you know, a couple of years back, um, doesn't mean you have to instantly respect something like The Sitter or go to see it. I mean, you know, yeah. it's just not a relevant movie. Right. So,
0: well, um, what were you With saying? That said,
1: I think I'll have to head out here, guys. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Hey, Phil. When does I'm looking at my release thing for this month? I'm sorry to be slow here, but when does the artist actually hit theater? I don't even see it here. Am I? Uh, they
2: they have an expansion scheduled for December 23rd. I don't know yet how big that's going to be. My guess is it's going to be somewhere in the middle of platform and, and wide. So you're looking at like, you know, maybe 500, 600 locations
1: as of the 23rd. Okay, fine.
2: Yeah, that's that's just my guess. So that that's its big test. That's going to be huge, you know. Does it it's a sink or swim moment then for right. it we'll have a much better idea of, you mm. know, how how this is going to play at, you know, multiplexes in in the middle of the country. That would be a,
1: a big moment I would imagine uh, being able to uh, to take the take the reading of that of that response that that weekend. So.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's like I said, sink or swim, make or break.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah.
2: All right, cool. All right, thanks well, again, guys. Yeah,
0: nice Bye. talking to you, Phil. All
1: right, talk Feel to you. well, sir. Phil. Okay. Same to you. So um, when are you going to see The Land of Blood and Honey? Have you seen that yet, Sasha?
0: No, I haven't seen it yet. I'll see it, though. I want to see it to see if Angelina's going to get a screenplay nomination. I think she just might, you know, yeah. because she wrote and directed it. That's pretty cool. You know, and it's not getting bad reviews, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, people, are the worst they're saying about it is that it's perfunctory, that it's just kind of, you know, eh. But it's not—it's not anything spectacular. But it's not a bad movie by any means, you know. I'm um, saying
1: the story doesn't particularly uh, excite or thrill you. That it's—you um, uh, okay, kind of know where it's going. Is that what you—is that what you've been sensing? Yeah,
0: pretty much. I mean, the movie I want to see most right now is *A Separation*, and so I'm not really thinking about trying to see anything else. That's the only thing I want to go and get. Um, and I'm, my question about a separation right now is, can it make, can it actually land a best picture nomination? I think I haven't seen it yet, but the way people are talking about it, I think uh-huh. it has a really good chance of that because it's, it could be a number one movie if it's anything, you know, and, and if it gets enough number ones, it makes it to the second round. And if it's anywhere, if, if enough voters see it, it could transcend the foreign language category and make it into the best picture race. Uh-huh. It's just got a lot of passion, uh, passionate support. So.
1: absolutely I cannot um, speak h- too highly about it when I talk to folks and I um, um, I would love to catch it a third time I've, I've seen it uh, well I've actually really only seen it um, in its entirety once so I could easily mm. catch it um,
0: what's the plot exactly I think it's kind of still a mystery well the plot is
1: uh, is is about a um, uh, uh, basically a conflict between a um, well-to-do sort of middle to upper middle class uh, family and a woman who works for them. Uh, and she comes from a somewhat lower caste in Iranian society. And her husband has financial worries and, uh, she, uh, becomes, um, <clears throat> things get, uh, things are very complexly rendered in terms of the, uh, she's taking care of a, of a man, uh, the grandfather who's, um, the, incontinent and and, and a, uh, an older guy who needs a lot of help. And uh, she winds up accusing the upper middle-class guy of having thrown her down a flight of stairs in anger. Oh. And uh, it becomes a matter of how do we write this? You have to pay us money to, uh, to make to, to, you know, correct or, or, or pay or, you know, um, as a way of, uh, as kind of a penalty to, to, um, that's the way Iranian society see that, that they've been offended. and They need to be uh, made whole with a payment of money. So um, that's kind of what the basic thing is. It's about an, an acute accusation and whether it's a valid accusation. No but it's, kidding. There's so much wow. more going on here than just that.
0: See, I yeah. thought that it was just a love story for some weird reason, you know?
1: Well, it's about a, the, uh, the upper middle class marriage is uh, coming apart and the wife wants to leave iran because she doesn't feel comfortable living under the repressive government and um and the the husband is feels invested in the culture and his business and with his grandfather and other he just feels that he can't just abandon his home and that's what's going on there but no there's not a nobody's falling in love that's for sure
0: oh god i gotta see it that's playing monday night so I have a choice of that or Moneyball again with um, Brad Pitt at a and a but I've seen that movie already three times, so I don't know if I need to go see Moneyball as much as I'd love to.
1: We'll <laughs> see We're the Q&A this Monday I'm out of curiosity. Where? Yeah. Oh, there's it's a-
0: Sony. It's at Sony. A so it's the
1: same thing, the same theater that we went to and we saw them earlier.
0: Oh, you mean the Brad Pitt thing? Yes. Um, I'm not sure if it's the same theater, but at this time there's Bennett Miller and uh, a couple other tech people. I think it might be a tech screening for below the liners. Um, but for me, any chance to see that movie again is something I want to do. Cause I've, I loved it. I mean, I, I would probably, it would be a choosing best picture for me this year would be tough if I had a ballot and I'm about to fill out my um, women and I'm, 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 a, I'm a member of the Alliance of women film journalists. And I, so I have to fill out a ballot and uh, it's the only thing I vote for in this. And I do it only because it's not, you know, it doesn't have any influence on the awards race at all. It's just a fun thing to do. Uh But, um, and it's always like, you know, best female villain, (laughs) so it's not, but I have to pick best picture, right? Number one. So what am I going to choose? It's really hard for me. There are two movies mainly that I would choose, but well, three now with Dragon Tattoo. So it would be Dragon Tattoo, Hugo or Moneyball and those three. And I don't know which one I'd pick, you know, it'd be hard to pick. So I have to think about that. Um, but I think I might go for, I picked Hugo as my number one movie, but I might go for um, Moneyball for Best Picture only because it's it's more of an uh, an adult film. I don't know. I don't want to say. I'm gonna have to think about it. Uh-huh. But, um, okay. I loved all three of those movies. So, what would you pick for number one movie if you had to vote? Number one, Best Picture of the year. What
1: would you pick? Uh, I I um, feel that my my favorite film of the year is Moneyball. Sorry. That's what I. That's what I believe. And my second uh, rated film is a separation.
0: Is a separation, and then descendants.
1: Yeah, that's, that's those are the three. Yeah.
0: Hmm. So I have to wonder, right? If uh, if a separation is going to make it, I think it might. I think it might get somewhere high up on the Oscar best picture list. We'll see. Um, it has to be
1: seen. So. I mean, I don't know how many people, how widely it has been seen, but, uh, that, that's obviously the, the essence of it. Um, have, have they sent out, I haven't gotten any screeners. Have you? No,
0: I haven't. I yeah. haven't gotten, and they're, what they need to do is think a little bit bigger, not think about the foreign language race, but think about best picture. That's what they need to do because it, it has enough placements on top 10 lists and is liked by enough people. Pretty mm-hmm. much a hundred percent of the people that saw it liked it. So Yeah. Uh, If I were them, I'd go all the way. I'd try to get a Best Picture nomination for that, big time.
1: Now, I was told, by the way, uh, about the embargo for uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. I I received a message from from our colleague at Warner Brothers, and I I seem to recall her saying that you can talk about it in a limited way as of a certain date, but the actual review date is... um, something like the 23rd or something. Did she say it was the 22nd, but something like that, right?
0: I think she said you could talk about the, um, Q and a, didn't she? The, you can talk about what happened the night we saw it at the, uh, LACMA. Yeah. But not, uh, not give a formal review of the film until later. Yeah. So if we you well, got, want to talk about I got the Q&A. A specific
1: date from her, did you not get a specific date? Yeah, I, I did. Was...
0: I didn't pay attention to it though, but yeah, yeah, it's it's sometime then, like next week or something, then then the reviews will start coming out. So
1: in any case, we are now um in the midst of uh, uh a Sunday on and the date is December the what is it, the eighteenth today? Or the
0: nineteenth.
1: Yeah. 18th. 18th. And here is a review from uh, Variety that just came in from oh. the Bruges. So I thought it's, this is earlier than what I expected, and, and I'm wondering what this means, why there's suddenly a Variety review. And it begins, more than a decade after the World Trade Center terrorist attacks, the time is right for a sensitively made studio picture that addresses the confusion, anger, and emptiness those events forced upon New Yorkers. For some, Stephen Daldry's Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close will be that movie. Others will reject its approach as too implausible or manipulative to take seriously. Hmm. With a heavy heart and even heavier hand, Daldry addresses the tragedy through the experience of a boy struggling to accept the death of his father. The divisive picks prospects ultimately depend on how this late-arriving award season really sits with tastemakers. So it's not a rave, that's for sure.
0: No, but it's fair. It's absolutely fair. Fair. He's saying exactly what I thought when I walked out of there because Mm -hmm. you and I both say that you know, I I was watching it from a different perspective. I, I swear never to read scripts before I see the movie because it's never a good thing. The only time it ever is good is if it's a movie like No Country for Old Men or Social Network where mm-hmm. they follow the script so exactly that. Um, but, but if you read a script and you think it's good and then the movie deviates from that script, it's um, disappointing because... My problem with the movie, of course, is that they took too much out of the script, and I thought the script was perfect. And so as you have it, you have a lot of stuff that's unexplained in the movie, which I don't think people are going to get. And if they, had read, if they had put everything in, I think it would have played better. However, saying, having said all that, we both saw that there was a huge standing ovation, and the crowd roared for every performer. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I haven't seen a standing ovation for any film all year. Uh-huh. and i've been to a lot of these gala screenings nobody's ever stood up so there's that and mm-hmm. and according to the publicist i know i don't know if you can ever believe publicist but every single and pete hammond also agreed that every single Q and A is played the exact same way yeah what's weird is that it only showed up on the um uh, critics choice list it's weird that it didn't get an afi nomination they all saw it Mm-hmm. And it's weird that it didn't get a uh, Golden Globe nomination. If, a, if there ever was a movie that was right up their alley, it's this movie. So mm-hmm. Although they are foreigners, so they might not... But they like very emotionally moving films. Yeah. So for it not yeah. to have showed up at the Golden Globes was very bizarre and telling to me. Because that, that doesn't put it in the hands of the tastemakers anymore. That puts it in yeah. the hands of the voters. Even though it's the Golden Globes, I know, but awards races, like po- politics is all about perception. It's not about necessarily quality of film. It's perception, a lot of it. So if the film is perceived as a film, the Golden Globes didn't vote for then well, but I, I won't be surprised to see it show up other places just because of the emotional thrust of it and the way people were responding to it. You know, I don't, I think that it's one of those movies, like he says, you're either with it or you're not either. It's caught you. It's like Warhorse that way. Same thing, you know, both movies are problematic, yeah, greatly problematic, but both movies, um, you know, reach in and grab your heart. They do. So if you're going to go with that and you're just going to say, you know what, I'm willing to ignore the flaws because I'm so won over by this film, you know. And for me, that movie was Rise of the Planet of the Apes. You know, I'm will, way willing to ignore the flaws because there was so much good in it.
1: Yeah, I was delighted by that film. Yeah. Here's a here's an interesting paragraph. With its reenactments of that fateful day, Extremely Loud plays a bit too much like one of those perfectly lit, heart-tugging segments that TV networks air during the Olympics. It hardly matters that Horn, the young kid, managed to give such a naturalistic, unmannered performance at the young Oscar when everything around him has been so deliberately orchestrated to provoke a specific reaction.
0: Hmm. I don't uh, know if I... I well. It's so hard to say. That movie is a fable. I mean, it's it's like a fairy tale. Uh-huh. And so if you're going to buy it, you're going to buy it. If you're not, you're not. I mean, it's hard to just start picking it apart because the whole thing is so mm-hmm. much like that. It's all sort of imaginary. And for me, the only, the only thing that people might have trouble with is the kid himself and the fact that he's Asperger's and, and how are they going to deal with that and, you know. And is he? Does he go overboard? And is he hard to deal with for an hour and a half? You know, he's a
1: very, very tough thing to deal with. Let's to be blunt about it. I mean, it's 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 a. Uh, uh, that was my reaction twenty minutes into the film. I said, I do not want to be stuck with this kid for two hours plus. And of course, that was my fate.
0: But... <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> I think a lot of people are going to feel that way. But I think I was surprised to see how many people didn't feel that way. That was what was surprising to me is the crowd <laughs> response. And even Peter DeBruge, you know, and, yeah. and you got When that kid came out on stage, I just wanted to walk up and hug him. I mean, not because yeah. of the movie, but because of who he is. You know, he's so sweet mm-hmm. in real life. He's so smart and he's so sweet. And this was his first movie. And, you know, I don't want to see him ripped apart by the critics. That would be so awful and unfair. I hope they don't. Because he's not really an actor, you know.
1: He uh, Did you meet him? Did you say hello? Mm
0: mm. Shake his hand? No, did you?
1: Yes, I did, at the oh. uh, gathering before. Wow. He's um, something like 11 or 12, I think, I, I recall. Right now, he is. And <clears throat> I can tell you, when I was um, 13, I was almost as tall as I am.
3: Mm hmm.
1: Almost. You know, some kids just grow fast, you know, when they're that age. He's really quite small for an
0: eleven-year-old. Yeah, would, he's sweet. He's so tiny. I mean, he's just a yeah. little cutie pie. I mean, that's the one thing you can't say about him is he is very cinematic to look at. He's beautiful, yeah. beautiful face and his eyes. And I mean, he's he's got he's got a lot going for him. He needed a director to say do less. Uh-huh. He needed a director to say watch ordinary people and watch how Timothy Hutton holds it all in and then has one tiny moment where he lets it all out, and that yeah. is powerful acting, and that's what he needed to do. He needed somebody to is, say, a little less, little less, you know.
1: I think it was a huge mistake to even, just because the the book has him, or the screenplay, as you noted, I, and I I'd finally read it uh, for a second. I finally really read it. I, I completely agree that screenplay is, uh, is something that really does work on its own terms, and I feel that, there's just the reality of being with this kind of personality, this agitated, very hyper, very specific um, uh, um, <clears throat> Asperger's personality. It's it's very problematic to, to hang with a, a kid like that for too long. But it's not a problem to read it. And I just no. think they should have either dropped the Asperger thing entirely and just made their own movie or given him... My idea that I came up with later is that he had a brother who um, was part of this thing and maybe he could tell him to shut up every now and then and just be you know give it a rest i mean you know you, you or, have yeah. to be so you know
0: any any person mm-hmm. around to react to him would have worked yeah. like somebody on the subway looking at him funny and him trying to modify cuz the one thing i know from my my uh, godson is uh severely autistic sweet boy but he's autistic you know and he um he uh the the heartbreaking thing about kids with autism and Aspergers is how hard they try not to be that way it's not it's not that they just let themselves explode we don't live in that kind of a world they know they're smart enough to know that people think they're weird and that's what he needed a little bit of that and he cuz in real life he's not that kid he's not that annoying kid he's he's sweet and he's he knows i mean that the the Aspergers kids and autism kids don't have that thing that 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 um, sh- that allows them to act appropriately, but they know they're not acting appropriately, and we needed a little bit of that. We needed an awareness and a, and a shunning a little bit by society, which we never got. We got everybody just being so supportive and nice all the time. Well, people aren't like that. People are hideous, you know. And uh, so, one scene with a classmate teasing him would have altered that film completely.
1: You know, um, <clears throat> Peter de Bruges says that when he uh acknowledges that he might have Asperger syndrome and there's a line he says which test results were inconclusive. He said that line gets a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that getting a laugh when I saw it. Oh, but... I
0: do. Yeah, I do.
1: Okay. It was All funny. Right. He
0: has a lot of really good lines. Okay. You know, it's not it's not a bad movie, really. I mean, it has it, again, it suffers from what a lot of movies suffer from, the, the over-expectations and the overhype of it being an Oscar player, you know. In a lot of movies, it's hard for them to live up to that, almost all of them, unless they start the year as a good movie like The Artist did. A movie right. that people don't think is going to be an Oscar movie coming into the to the race. That's Slumdog Millionaire, same thing, you know, Departed, uh the only one I've ever seen transcend that is The King's Speech, which, you know, was looked like it was conceived as an Oscar movie and it went all the way as an Oscar movie. It was an anomaly, something that hard, doesn't happen very often, but right. certainly happened last year.
1: OK, I'm going to just going to read it uh, verbatim here. Uh, the as of tomorrow, Wednesday, the 14th, this is uh, issued on the 13th at 9 a.m. You are you're able to post coverage from the Q&A and your initial coverage. But reviews are under embargo. You are able to post a review. Ah, excuse me, Sasha. Hmm. I was wrong. To scratch it all. You are able to post your review online on Sunday, December 18th, as of 9 a.m. Pacific.
0: Oh, okay.
1: You have it up, and there you go. So.
0: Oh, good. All right. So he didn't break the embargo. No. Hmm. It, I was
1: wrong about the 23rd. It is today. Today is y'all ollie income free as far as any reviews.
0: Okay. So are you going to write one?
1: I've already written one, and I, I pretty much put it, laid it all down. I have to shape it and refine it into review and post it. Well, so. just
0: beware that there's a little tender little boy's, you know, sense of self at stake here when you're writing that review because it's not all about what we think. There is a greater humanity involved in writing about a kid who's not an actor who's getting into this for the first time, and you know, I don't really don't want to see people totally tear him apart and ruin his life. I'm not saying Requested you will do life. that. I'm he's, not saying you're gonna do that. I'm just saying go easy on him, you know, he's a kid. He's a kid, he's still a kid, so um
1: he's an instrument of a mechanism that has produced a movie, a willing instrument who has uh obviously brilliance and great personality and beautiful face and all the rest of it. But it's a it's a deal that he made. As a as any young person does, and they're certain, and they're saying we like these aspects. We want you to emphasize this in a certain way. Here's how we want you to do it. Work with us. Let's let's come up with a you know yeah. well, and so on. So he's not you know.
0: What I mean to say is, I'm not saying you're going to do this, but what I mean to say is that yeah. there is sort of a um, bullying attitude that can come out online sometimes, and I think that where he's concerned, he could get really badly made fun of and criticized. And, and I, Mm -hmm. and I think that's unfair, bizarre. And it's like, it's one thing if you're just talking about, did it work in the movie? And then it's another thing to talk about the kid himself and to tear him apart. I'm not saying you're going to do that. I'm just saying I can see other people doing that.
1: One of the most excruciating uh, performances, um, in my adult life, I think I can say was Jake Lloyd's, um, performance in um, uh, The Phantom Menace, which was, what, 99 when that oh came God. out?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I thought that was just ghastly. I mean, I, and, you know, that was Lucas. He decided upon the kid. He decided to make him mm-hmm. the focus, and he's the young Anakin Skywalker, and I thought it was... Um, yeah. Pretty rough, pretty that's rough that's going.
0: Me too. The thing about kids is, you know, you either get lucky, you have to be smart about it. Some, like mm-hmm. a Spielberg picked a great kid to play Elliot and E.T. And, uh, you know, you just never know. I knew with this movie, it was all going to come down to the kid, you know, and I was hoping that they would pick a kid who would do less, not a kid who would do more. And they went in the other direction. And I think it's funny and everything, but it just changes what I thought the script was about, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it needed a much more weird introspect. A, a kid not unlike Lisbeth Salander without all the, like, damage, but that sort of person who's 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 weird and, and out off the rails but keeps everything penned in and hemmed in, you know. Yeah. That's how I think that this movie would have worked the best. But what do I know? I'm not getting paid mm-hmm. the big bucks to make movies, you know. <laughs> I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. well okay all right, all right so, so
1: well i guess we have to um it's, it's probably a good time to get down to the posting of whatever you have on streaming the it's a major film and yeah this is okay, so.
0: i will okay all right darling well have a nice rest of your weekend and i hope you enjoy new york i guess i won't talk to you till what christmas or something is it christmas next week uh eight, eight, so is it really
1: oh. <laughs> um yeah i'm gonna come back on uh, the six, the twenty-six, which is the day after. I think that's a Monday or something.
0: You're coming back to LA?
1: Yes, I don't want to stay here too long. I, I, it's too expensive for me to stay in Manhattan, and I find uh, Connecticut uh, almost like you know pretty oppressive in terms of the uh, you know um, kind of off. I feel like I'm on the dark side of the moon when I'm in up Connecticut. And
0: um, <laughs> are you? Uh, are you seeing- I can do
1: it for a while, but I can't do it for more than three or four days. And. Uh, I'm here until Wednesday then I go up to Connecticut and I don't think I want to stay there for too long. Yeah. And I just, you know, I'm trying to play it a little closer to the vest. Um, uh, uh, this is a um, time of the year when I have to kind of be a little careful about expenditures and I can't go nuts. So,
0: Right. Right. Are you going to see your mom?
1: Absolutely. Yes. That's yeah. part of what the Connecticut thing is for sure.
0: Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I yeah. hope that it goes well and uh, that she has a nice holiday. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know. And uh, you're gonna stay at your friend Chance's house up there?
1: Yeah. That was that was one of the plans. Yep. Mm,
0: nice. Well it sounds good. I, I envy you being in New York. It's the best time of year to be there.
1: Thank you. Uh I look forward to it. And I hope you have a nice uh, week also and um and I look forward to reading what you have to say about streaming line,
0: <laughs> Okay. All right, cutie. Well I'll talk to you later then.
1: All right, have a nice day. Take I care.
0: you too. Bye
1: again bruce
0: springsteen you've been listening to episode 61 of oscar poker with jeffrey wells from hollywoodelsewhere.com phil contrino from BoxOffice.com, and sasha stone from awardsdaily.com you can follow us on twitter at oscar podcast and the bumper music was song two by blur and you're missing bruce springsteen thanks for listening
3: Everything is very same Everything is very same But you're listening. Coffee cups on the count Jackets on the chair Papers on the doorstep But you're not Everything is very thing Everything is very thing But you'll miss me Pictures on the nightstand TVs on the Your house is waiting, your house is waiting for you to walk in, for you to walk in, but your the lights, you're missing me. When I close my eyes, you're missing me. I see the sunrise, you're missing me. Children are asking if it's alright. you be in our arms to much room in my bed, too many phone calls, how's everything, 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 well, you'll miss me. Just e